0: Oral questions by members?
1: House Leader of the Opposition.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, despite uh, lots of empty NDP promises, uh, life has never been more unaffordable in British Columbia. The price of everything from gasoline to groceries uh, to rent, uh, everything has skyrocketed. Yesterday, uh, gas prices in Vancouver were 73 cents a litre higher than they were in Toronto. And this cost-of-living crisis is having its greatest impact on families, families that are struggling to uh, even put food on their table. At times like this, British Columbians expect their elected officials, their MLAs, to lead by example. But instead, the NDP cabinet gave themselves a completely undeserved $10,000 retroactive pay raise. And now, under current legislation, every MLA in this chamber, from all three parties, will receive a pay increase of likely up to $10,000 each because wages of MLA wages are tied to CPI unless this government steps up and supports ending this or freezing pay pay a pay wage for this year. The official opposition believes that accepting a pay increase of up to 10% would be completely out of line with the expectations that British Columbians have. British Columbians who are struggling, as I've said. And so the question is a very simple one to the Finance Minister. As families struggle with skyrocketing costs, will this government support the official opposition and put a freeze on MLA salaries for the forthcoming year?
1: Minister of Finance.
2: much, Mr. Speaker, uh, global inflation is certainly a big challenge, not just here for British Columbians, but certainly across Canada and around the globe. And people are getting squeezed, Mr. Speaker, which is why, which is why we have taken significant steps to help British Columbians. In fact, just this week, uh, people have started to receive their carbon, act- their uh, climate action tax credits, and we've been hearing about the impacts that that's making for average British Columbians, Mr. Speaker. In fact, uh, we heard uh, just recently, uh, t- yesterday and today, uh, from a woman named Zoe, who said, she's so grateful for the one-time payment, it really helps those of us seniors on fixed low incomes. Thank you. We've heard from uh, Denise, who said, S- we regularly don't get much help from government, but I re- we received $387 and it really helps. Thank you. <clears throat> we heard uh, from Twitter on Twitter, from Nate, great way to demonstrate the climate action and affordability agenda can go hand in hand. Mr. Speaker, we have been taking action to help British Columbians. There's going to be more coming, Mr. Speaker, because we have heard from British Columbians how challenging it is. But I have to say, um, hearing from the members' opposite, where uh, affordability, when they were in government, uh, they gave tax breaks to big corporations. The Leader of the Opposition increased ICBC rates by 11 per cent.
1: Members!
2: MSP by 10 per cent, Mr. Speaker. Tolls Members on will bridges, come to order. They made it harder for average British Columbians, oh. Mr. Speaker. We're going to continue to do the work to address what it is that British the Columbians average need average today average and average. well into the future.
1: The Official Opposition House Leader
0: the, this government's complete and total lack of support for British Columbians struggling in this affordability crisis is breathtaking.
3: It is breathtaking.
0: Highest rents uh, in the country. Highest gas prices in North America. On and on the list goes. And this government's been missing in action in terms of supporting British Columbians. Leadership is also about leading by example. Exactly. And unless we as legislators take, take, take the, the necessary step to, to amend the uh, Members' Remuneration and Pension Act to provide for a freeze this forthcoming year, Every member in this chamber, every MLA, will receive upwards of a $10,000 pay increase next year. Again, against the backdrop of families barely being able to put food on their table. I frankly can't believe that while families are having trouble making ends meet, that this government isn't willing to stand up today and just say, yes, we are going to lead by example, we will join the official opposition, and we will make a sacrifice here, like British Columbians are doing. Moments moments ago, I provided notice uh, uh, to the clerk of my intention to introduce a private member's bill that would freeze MLA salaries, meaning that while families are facing upwards of 8% inflation, MLAs won't won't, won't see any increase in their paychecks. If the government chooses to introduce their own legislation on this, the uh, the government should should know they have the full support of every member of the official opposition with that legislation. And I want to be clear about something here. This is about principles. This is about leading by example. This is about understanding that people are making sacrifices. Our former B.C. Liberal government froze MLA salaries for four years, 2010 to 2013, amidst a global economic crisis. And freezing MLA salaries was the right thing to do then, it's the right thing to do today. Will the NDP stand up today, do the right thing, recognize that that families are struggling, and agree with the official opposition to support the official opposition's call to freeze MLA salaries for the forthcoming year?
1: Is the question over, or are you still continuing? Minister of Finance.
2: Well thank you Mr. Speaker well I'll, all I have to say at this point Mr. Speaker is holy chutzpah Batman to hear from those folks over there to hear from those folks over there about freezing wages they froze minimum wage for years for British Columbia for, for the lowest paid workers and then of course they had the youth wage remember that Mr. Speaker for young people. Could.
1: members members are you interested in answer or not you're not we can end we can end the question period right now if you want I know just show some courtesy Please. Member? Minister of Finance will continue.
0: Thank
2: you very much, Mr. Speaker, because their chutzpah is on full demonstration here in this House. The chutzpah to suggest that uh, that, that freezing—that when they were in government, they took care of people—is absolute chutzpah. What they did, Mr. Speaker, was they did not allow the lowest paid workers in this province to get an increase. They 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 would absolutely not increase minimum wage. I think, Mr. Speaker, we need to remember a couple of things. We too froze MLA salaries. We did that just a couple of years ago. We did do that. Members am, shh. Mr. Speaker, their FUCK is getting away on them again.
1: Members, that's enough. Members.
2: If they would be happy to listen, I would be happy to tell them that I, uh, I am interested in having a conversation with our House Leader uh, and Chair of Lamsey to consider the proposal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Member for Kamloops North Thompson.
4: Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. It, it's quite shocking, though, that the ministers fails to see that the questions have been about personal accountability and responsibility for ministers and the government and the actions they personally take to set an example. It should be a fairly simple yes or no. and One would have hoped that the government and cabinet had already had internal discussions on something like this, but apparently not. And it's bad enough that it would result in an upwards of $10,000 raise for every single MLA in here, but I'll remind the minister and the rest of cabinet and the public: it's actually $15,000 for the cabinet ministers. So it is a significant increase at a time when most people in the public would not be seeing $15,000 added to their pay packet. In fact, Mr. Speaker, a new survey shows that over half of the people in BC say it has become less affordable to feed themselves and their families. Working men and women in our province, on record numbers, are being forced to go to food banks now to try to be able to provide for their families. This Thanksgiving, we will have the most families in the country forced to make changes to their Thanksgiving meals because they can't afford the cost of food. But the minister can't give a simple answer whether or not she will decline a $15,000 raise this year. So while families have to tighten their belts this Thanksgiving, the gravy train's running long for this government. We need leadership. Will the minister not consult, not consider, stand up today as the head of government finances and say they're not taking the raise and they're going to suspend it for a year?
1: Government House Leader.
5: Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, it's not about cleanup, but it's about sp- explaining some facts to you on how it works. And you know how it works. First
1: member...
2: Oh, stop.
1: First off, Opposition Leader,
5: please continue. The member may have forgotten because he has been away from this place, Uh, but he also sat on this side of the house when the previous government brought in place an independent body that sets our pay and benefits. That was supported by all members of this house. The member will also know that when it comes to the increase that takes place at the end of each year, based on the CPI, that that takes place not in this chamber, but in fact, takes place at the Lamsey meetings when they do their budgetary uh, proposals for the for the for the for the coming year. And again, that member is wrong. Uh, it does not have to be overridden in this chamber. It can be overridden by Lamsey, and that is in fact that. Do you want to hear the answer, or don't you want to hear the answer? The and that is exactly that. Numbers,
1: is, members, members.
5: and that is exactly what happened the last time the pay was frozen at the beginning of the pandemic when we were due for a 2.8% increase and we agreed and said that that would not go ahead that's exactly how that process you know they come here saying they want to talk about affordability I'm explaining how the process works not through stunts but how it actually works and clearly they're not interested so that comes back to Lampsy at the end of this fiscal, at the end of this year when the budgetary uh, process is underway, when we know exactly what the inflationary rate is at that time because it changes throughout the year and a decision will be made. I can also tell you that the Finance Minister has already approached me about that in terms of raising this issue at Lampsy to deal with the cost of living increase And how he would deal with it. Um, And that's when and where this will be done. What's unfortunate, Honourable Speaker, is and I understand that when they're bereft of ideas, when they're bereft of any public policy announcements, they want to try and grandstand, which is what they've done. But the reality is that's where it will be dealt with. And that's exactly what we're going to do, and the Finance Minister is indicating that.
1: Member for Cambridge, North Thompson.
4: Well, well, let's be clear, Mr. Speaker, the Finance Minister was at least permitted to try to answer the question the first two times. didn't indicate that she had discussed this at all with the Solicitor-General. But on answer number three, suddenly it has been under discussion by government, Mr. Speaker. So what has become very clear today is the government needs a little more time to come up with their justification and rationalizations moving forward. So let's look at another way that life has become less unaffordable under this NDP government. B.C. has the highest gas prices, highest gas taxes in North America. We have for quite some time now. I know they don't seem to be aware of how bad people are hurting, so for the Minister of Energy's own knowledge, right across from his constituency office, gas is currently $2.40 a litre today and climbing as we head into the long weekend. This is hurting everyday people. Mary Kleiner from Vancouver, who owns a moving business, has already spent $3,000 more on fuel this year, which is raising costs for all of her customers. Statistics Canada has pointed out to the gas relief program as a significant factor in controlling inflation in Alberta. They took action. The University of Calgary economist Trevor Tone says, and I quote, the full provincial gas tax cut being passed on to consumers, end quote. Instead of cutting taxes temporarily, though, this government wants to keep reaching into people's pockets again and again and again. Why won't the NDP do what they've been asked to all year now and temporarily cut the provincial gas taxes so people have a bit of affordability heading into long weekends and trying to get around this province to visit family?
1: Minister of Finance.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, again, I have to say it's always fascinating to hear uh, members uh, opposite Talk about affordability for British Columbians, given their track record, when they they would give they would give speculators and the top two percent earners in this province a tax break because that's what they did last time, Mr. Speaker, and they have said that they would they would do it again. And so, Mr. Speaker, what we've been doing is really uh, helping British Columbians with their childcare costs. In fact, Mr. Speaker. Hundred and fifty dollars a month, Mr. Speaker. And I think, think, Mr. Speaker, I can really speak to uh, uh, an event that I was at. I was at a a baby shower just not too long ago, and one of the young women who was just heading back to work after taking her second maternity leave came up to me in absolute tears, Mr. Speaker. Uh, This young woman, Kate, said, "You don't understand what this means for me and my family. What it means, Mr." for her, Mr. Speaker, is that she will get to uh, keep uh, uh, this extra thousand dollars a month because that's what it means for her. And she said what that means for her, Mr. Speaker, and for her family is that she will have more time with her children because we are delivering on child care that that I would say, Mr. Speaker, the previous NDP government started, and I believe, uh— The minister over here, the minister of public safety, brought it in, and guess who cut that, Mr. Speaker? Guess who cut that program back in 2001, Mr. Speaker? It was the people on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Speaker, we are boosting the BC Family Benefit up to $350. Members,
1: Members, order.
2: Additional resource, Mr. Speaker, coming to those very families. An additional $350 uh, for a family of two children will be coming again in the new year. We're continuing to deliver for British Columbians, Mr. Speaker, because we care about the affordability.
1: Leader of the Third Party.
6: Thank you, Hon. Speaker. And, and Indeed, the cost of living and affordability for British Columbians is top of mind for everybody right now, and people are struggling. Uh, They go to the grocery store, and the basics are far more expensive than they were even weeks or months ago. We know that food is going to get more expensive as climate change progresses. We know that without closing the vacancy control loopholes, rental housing will continue to rise. Rent in Victoria has jumped 18% in the last year alone. And we know that without access to affordable transit, people will have no choice but to drive their cars and pay the rising costs of gasoline in this this province. Today, we're hearing proposed concrete steps from the opposition. We're hearing responses from government, but we're also hearing a lot of pointing and blaming. And I don't think that's what British Columbians want to hear right now. They want to hear about what specific solutions are going to be put on the table that will address the growing challenges that they are facing to meet their monthly bills and daily costs. While the people are struggling, corporations are taking home record-breaking profits. My question to the Minister of Finance is, what steps, concrete steps, is she going to take to rein in the profit-taking that is happening and being paid for by the people in British Columbia.
1: Minister of Finance.
6: Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr.
2: Speaker. And and I agree with the member. People really are struggling. They, they, they really are. And that's why we have taken, already taken some significant actions, whether it's an ICBC rebate, um, uh, uh, additional supports through the Climate Action Tax Credit, so that we could be efficient and get uh, money into people's hands. The BC family benefit, there'll be an additional um, uh, top-up for those families that are eligible, Mr. Speaker. It's why we limited uh, rent increases to only 2%. It's also why we eliminated the previous uh, BC Liberal government's automatic 2% 2 plus CPI. We had to change that formula as well. So we've taken some significant steps over the last number of years. Um, And and again, I want to say, and I hear the member saying, well, that was retroactive, but if we hadn't done that, uh, then then, uh, I think it would be 7.4% would be the tax increase um, if the BC Liberals were on this side of the House, Mr. Speaker. So we're continuing to address those very, very challenging uh, problems that are not just here in British Columbia. And I think um, the member knows full well that this is around the globe. It's not unique to British Columbia. There are some significant challenges. Um, And we're going to continue to work with everybody to address ways that we can um, help uh, families. But again, I wanna remind the member, and I know that this is important to her, is making sure that that childcare is affordable. And I really have to say, well, some people seem disappointed, Mr. Speaker, that childcare is affordable. But I know that the British Columbians, the British Columbians who are uh, now benefiting significantly um, and paying perhaps an average of twenty dollars a day, are saying that this is making a real difference in their lives. And we're going to continue to drive those costs down, Mr. Speaker.
1: Leader of the third party supplemental.
6: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And and while I appreciate the points that the minister made, none of them spoke to what people can see is happening. And this is this growing profit-taking that is happening uh, by corporations. So as people are struggling to just afford to live, companies are claiming record profits. Loblaws, first quarter earnings rose by almost 40%. First quarter, 40% rise. Cargill reported a 63% increase in profits, profits of almost $5 billion. Oil and gas, profits are through the roof. Canadian Natural Resources has more than doubled its profits. Petronas, one of the key owners of the destructive coastal gas pipeline, reported $5.1 billion in profits over the summer, more than double their profits last year. There is a growing inequality, and it is marked TELUS, inserting itself into our public health care system, reported profits of $4.4 billion over the last quarter, an increase of 7.1%. My question again to the Minister of Finance. While British Columbians struggle, these corporations are raking in record profits. What steps is she going to take to ensure that British Columbians are not suffering from this profit-taking?
1: Minister of Finance.
6: Thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Chair. Well, perhaps
2: the member didn't hear my previous example of a, this young woman who is um, seriously benefiting in a big way from our investment in childcare. Um, and uh, perhaps she's forgotten that we've, we're delivering free transit for children. This makes a, a significant difference for families. But I also want to assure the member that we're committed to ensuring that big corporations pay their fair share, Mr. Speaker. It's why we're eliminating the largest fossil fuel subsidy in B.C., the Deepwell Royalty Program. It's why we're increasing the minimum o- oil and gas royalty rate by 66%. Uh, we increased the tax rate for large corporations in 2018 from 11 to 12%. And what this means, Mr. Speaker, what this means is that there's more revenue that allows us to reduce costs for people, strengthen our public service, as well as fight climate change.
1: Member White Rock.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, after seven long months, the government quietly released their response to the 2022 Corner Service Death Review Panel on the illicit drug toxicity deaths. The response was too little, too late. In 2018, the government accepted all recommendations from that panel, but not this time. Not only has the minister failed to implement the recommendations, she has given absolutely no faith or directions that this government accepts the 23 recommendations put forward. The reality is that under this minister, things have gotten worse. In fact, tragically, since this report was released 211 days ago, over 1,200 British Columbians have lost their lives. My question is, how many, poor pe- how many people have to die before this minister actually takes action and understands that this is an urgent situation?
1: Minister of Mental Health and Addictions.
8: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Every day the loss of life to the toxic drug supply, the voices of people working on the front line, the families and loved ones and community members who've lost, team members, co-workers, peers, um, those voices all inform um, every day our government's response to the toxic drug crisis and the ongoing public health emergency. Um, as the toxicity of the drugs has increased, Um, and the loss of life has deepened, our government continues to evolve its response. That's why we went from one supervised consumption site in 2016 to 42 now. That's why in the first two weeks of the pandemic, British Columbia introduced the first in Canada prescribed safe supply program to separate people from the toxic drug supply, and why we've continued to expand and evolve it. That's why we've added hundreds of new addiction treatment beds. That's why we introduced new regulations into the treatment and recovery sector, and we're going to do more. Across the continuum, almost every week, there are new announcements of new programs, and we continue to take advice from people on the front lines about how to um, how to save lives at this really terrible time.
1: Member for Prince George Willemount.
9: The disconnect that we hear every day from NDP cabinet ministers and what British Columbians are experiencing in their lives is shocking. Whether it's crime, whether it's the cost of living, or whether it is health care under this government's watch, British Columbians are saying that it is the worst they have ever seen. Yesterday, we learned of yet another horrific example of a healthcare system that has collapsed. And as difficult as it is today to even share this story, families want their government and their minister to hear them, to hear their voices, to know the pain and sorrow that they are experiencing. Sarah, a mother in her second trimester, went to the Penticton Regional Hospital ER in excruciating pain. She was left alone for an hour and a half before being told to use the washroom where she miscarried her son. Sarah said, this is Sarah's voice, not mine. I went in there and gave birth to my son all by myself, screaming for help. I was just standing there in the bathroom by the wheelchair and we had no help. Even once she got to her room, Sarah says no one checked on her for hours. And she waited again, alone, traumatized and in shock. And I want to be clear. This is not about nurses or doctors. They are overwhelmed. They are demoralized. They are overloaded. This starts at the top. And it starts with a minister who constantly fails to acknowledge the crisis that we have in our province and fails to accept responsibility for the outcare outcomes. We have a healthcare system that has collapsed. British Columbians like Sarah and countless other ones deserve better and the minister knows it. Something has to change. It is simply not acceptable that a young mom like Sarah has to go through that in the province that we love. So I am asking the minister today to acknowledge not only Sarah's pain, but the situation that exists in this province. It is time he did the right thing. Something must change. It starts at the top. Will the minister do the honourable thing and resign?
3: Minister of Health. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, Obviously, Honourable Speaker, in a case such as this, the grief, the sense of loss of individuals is profound. And every time this occurs, every time there's a curse, we need to review and make the system better, to respond better, to hear those voices. That's the reason why we have independent reviews of these processes, to ensure that people get a sense of agency and voice, and those reviews are initiated by people in cases exactly like this, Our obligation to people, I think, in a public healthcare system is to deliver a high quality of care everywhere. It's to respond to the situation we're facing in front of us, and we have been doing it, and our doctors and our nurses and our health sciences professionals and our healthcare workers have been doing it in an extraordinary way for two and a half years. We have been in crisis for two and a half years. We've been in public health emergency for two and a half years. When you delay tens of thousands of surgeries, that's a crisis. When you make a decision to move primary care to virtual, that's a crisis. When you take actions in long-term care that affect everyone, that's a crisis. And our obligation, it seems to me, after two and a half years of that crisis, and six years of the public health emergency that's the overdose crisis that our system is facing, is to continue to build and support health care workers. To add nurses, not to cut them, but to add them. To, to lead the country in more nurses and then add more. To create circumstances that people can come to this country and work and provide better care for people. Our obligation to people, individuals and all people, is to provide the best possible care and as Minister of Health I am determined, determined, well the Leader of the Opposition chooses to heckle, that's fine. Honourable Speaker, he chooses to heckle. Honourable Speaker, there is a contrast here. And I will leave that contrast for another day. But registered nurses, they were cut when he was Minister of Health. And we have led the country. Yes, they were. The numbers don't tell a very distinct story. But that's not the important question. The important question is right now taking the steps that we are taking to continue to build a health care system that provides high-quality care for everyone, and I remain determined to do so.